What was the name of that fort? This is the Historian's Podcast, and I'm Bob Cudmore. Author and archaeologist Wayne Lennig is our guest. Good to have you with us, Wayne. Good to be here, Bob. Wayne Lennig has a 50-year-long interest in the interplay of Native American, European, and African cultures in the Mohawk Valley. He's a fellow of the New York State Archaeological Association, vice president of the Van Epps Hartley chapter of the State Archaeological Association, archaeological curator and vice chairman of the Fort Plain Museum Board of Trustees, and research associate in archaeology at the New York State Museum. He holds a bachelor's degree, summa cum laude, from the University of Buffalo, and is an alumnus of the Cooperstown Graduate Program. Wayne Lennig, the name, and the Fort Plain Museum has published a new local history book by Wayne Lennig called Fort Plain, Fort Plank, Fort Rensselaer, the Revolutionary War Forts of Cano Johari. The locations and identities of colonial and Revolutionary War era forts in the Fort Plain, Cano Johari area of the Mohawk Valley is confusing. Uh, Wayne, how do you try to shed light on this problem in your book? Well, uh, the specific problem of of uh, unraveling what these three forts uh, were originally uh, is probably the the main portion of the book, uh, at least a hundred pages, and uh, it's it's accomplished by looking at the original manuscripts, uh, going back to the papers of Governor Clinton, the papers of uh, General Washington. Uh, and uh, some more obscure collections of papers that are kind of scattered in repositories all over the country, uh, but primarily from uh, contemporary documents. Uh, Of course, that's only half the book, as you already know. Uh, The other, uh, at least a quarter of the book, is devoted to unraveling how these names got so confused in the first place. Mm Mm-hmm. And another quarter deals with uh, our archaeological work that's been accomplished by the Fort Plain Museum uh, on the site of uh, Revolutionary War Fort Plain. So there's three main parts of the book. Mm -hmm. And do you come to a conclusion? I mean, are you confident in saying, well, this was Fort Plain, this was Fort Plank, this was Fort Rensselaer? Well, I, I would say we're 99% certain of the identities. We have uh, documents that, uh, that identify Fort Plain and Fort Rensselaer as the same fort with two names. We have other documents that locate uh, Fort Plank uh, three miles away at a separate location uh, at the home of Joseph House or Yost House. So we're pretty sure now that we're dealing with two forts, one that was named Fort Plain or Fort Rensselaer, uh, and another uh, that was only named Fort Plank at a separate location. Now, Fort Plain's the name of the village, so that, that I think I understand. Uh, or and was it also, it's not really built on a, or is it built on a plain? It's sort of on a hill, right? 
the fort is. Uh, the village isn't. Uh, uh, they're actually uh, the original village that was there before the Revolutionary War, uh, the little crossroads, if you will, uh, was at the, uh, well, you would think of it as the western end of the, of the current village of Fort Plain, on a hilltop called Sand Hill. Uh, they still call it Sand Hill, and it's the next hill to the west, or actually north if you use a compass, uh, from the Fort Hill, the Fort Plain Hill. So um, there was a settlement there before the Revolution, and its name, this is, this is what makes it really confusing, was Canajahari. <laughs> um, what are, happened? Like... I'll explain that. While we're at okay. it, I might as well explain that. That original Canajahari settlement uh, lasted until after the Revolution. And then in the 1790s, after the Revolutionary War, population of the, of the valley got so large, large that uh, they split the town of Canajahari. There was a township of Canajahari, you know, a much bigger area mm-hmm. that ran all the way from uh, Little Nose, you know, the noses, Big Nose and Little Nose, mm-hmm. All the way on the south side of the river, all the way from there to Fall Hill, which is opposite the modern village of Little Falls. So that was a very large township uh, that was called Canajahari before the Revolution. Uh, And as the population grew after the Revolution, they split it into basically two towns. And they continued the name of Canajahari on the eastern portion of the town, but the western portion of the town uh, was renamed the town of Minden. So now it didn't make a lot of sense for the village of Canajahari to be in the town of Minden. Uh, and the little village that grew up where we know the village of Canajahari today uh, became known eventually uh, as Canajahari Center because it was in the middle of the new township. Uh, and it became convenient because now Fort Plain was a well-known place after the revolution. Uh, it became ven- convenient to rename that village Fort Plain. Uh, mm-hmm. So, Harry became Fort Plain, essentially. <laughs> and, and I don't want to tr- jump ahead of the story, but it, it isn't the best guess that Fort Plain, uh, I mean, doesn't exist anymore as a, as a fort, but I mean, the, the site of Fort Plain uh, was, or Fort Plain, the fort, was created in 1779? Correct. Uh, that Another... Another thing that we discovered in the course of our research of 50 years, I should say, I say our, I'm using that uh, only because other people have contributed ideas, uh, but the research was mine, basically. Uh, One of the things that we discovered in that time is that all of the early historians had uh, kind of inferred, although never been able to prove, that Fort Plain was established at the beginning of the Revolution in 1776. Well, we looked and we looked and we looked for documents uh, that would prove that, contemporary documents, never could find any. Uh, And finally, in uh, some later documents, pension records actually, of uh, recollections of soldiers 50 years after the Revolution, we found a pension record uh, that talks about Fort Plain being built. This soldier was at Fort Plank, actually, uh, and uh, he said, well, he was there in 1779. Uh, a body of uh, Continental troops came on and built Fort Plain. Uh, 
So yes, that's the. And, we, we don't have a contemporary document, uh, but we have all signs pointing uh, to Fort Plain being built in the spring of 1779. And when it was built, was there a place already called? I don't know what you'd call it, Plain. <laughs> I mean, but that's the first use of that. No, we really uh, don't know where the name Fort Plain came from, for sure. Um, the early historians claim that it came from the from the view on the hilltop where the fort was built. It was such a plain view. But that always sounded a little lame to me. Um, mm -hmm. And I think there's a much more compelling story here. Uh, and it has to do with why Fort Plain has two names. And I okay, think well, what's, you, what's you, the story? you alluded to this. Uh, we talked a little bit about this earlier. Uh, there was a, a man by the name of Robert Van Rensselaer, uh, who was a great-great-grandson of the original patroon in Albany, uh, Killian Van Rensselaer. Uh, he uh, was born in, all, well, at Fort Cralo in what's now uh, the village of, uh, uh, what is it, Rensselaer, isn't it? Uh, the city, yeah, it's okay. right on the east side of the Hudson. Uh, but he ended up, he ended up uh, marrying a, a lady and moving down to what is now uh, Claverack in that area. Uh, and he became, at the beginning of the war, he became a general of the Albany County Militia. And uh, he eventually uh, got command in Tryon County of the militia as well. And he made his headquarters at what we now know of as Fort Plain in 1780. And uh, at that point, we find all the documents that refer to the fort begin calling it Fort Rensselaer. Okay. So we have this uh, Hudson Valley Dutchman named uh, Van Rensselaer who becomes very important to the history of the fort, uh, probably was the first person to actually make it a major headquarters fort. Uh, and... Um, he got in hot water almost immediately. Um, there was a, a, a major raid that took place during that summer of 1780 uh, by uh, Joseph Brandt and uh, uh, about three to 400 Indians uh, who raided the area around the fort and Fort Plank and burned the neighborhood, uh, destroyed, uh, took captives, about 40 or 50 people, uh, and destroyed the whole area. Well, when he did that, Van Rensselaer had uh, called all the militia and troops in the in the valley off to Fort Stanwix because they were worried that the attack was going to take place at Fort Stanwix. So the whole area around Fort Plain and Fort Plank was unprotected, uh, mm -hmm. and that's how Brant got away, really, without a loss of a man and uh, himself and, and, and totally destroyed the area. So when he came back, uh, of course, uh, Ben Rensselaer was uh, not very well liked by the local people because he had taken all their protection away and allowed this to happen, essentially. Um, then a few months later, uh, Sir John Johnson came through the area and raided it, came up through the Schoharie Valley and uh, this is the time of the, the famous uh, Battle of Stone Arabia and the Battle of Clock's Field. 
mm-hmm. and Johnson, uh, although he was cornered on the River Flats at what is now St. Johnsville uh, by a huge, uh, much larger army led by Van Rensselaer, uh, he managed to get away. Uh, there were probably 40 or 50 captives of the British loyalists, but but he got away. Johnson himself and uh, uh, Butler and Brant were all present, and they all got away un, unharmed. Uh, and so Van Rensselaer was kind of blamed for allowing that to happen as well. So now we've got a fort named Fort Rensselaer, named after a man who had two major strikes against him from the local people. Um, About that time, we see more and more, uh, not official papers, but uh, unofficial papers, diaries and journals and things like that, uh, referring to the fort as Fort Plain. Mm -hmm. It always struck me as very probable that they were protesting the name Rensselaer and simply calling it a plain fort. Do you know, or do, what does the record show about whether von Rensselaer or Rensselaer stayed there? I mean, did he stay as commander for the rest of the revolution, let's say? Uh, no, actually, he was court-martialed for uh, the uh, the action at uh, Clark's Field. Uh, a lot of people blamed him for allowing the uh, Loyalist Army to get away. Uh, like I said, they had them actually cornered. Uh, with the river at their backs and surrounded uh, in what is now the uh, uh, the, the park in St. Johnsville, uh, where the ball field is and where they have their fair every year. Uh, mm-hmm. They were cornered on the riverbank there, and uh, they still managed to get away because, well, it got dark. The, the, the fighting went on until after dark, and Ben Rensselaer and a number of the other American mm-hmm. Uh, commanders claimed that the Americans were so confused in the dark uh, that they were firing at each other rather because they were surrounded. You know, you've got, they're on both sides of the, of the loyalists and uh, they claimed that they were actually killing each other because uh, they couldn't see who they were firing at. So Van Rensselaer called a halt. Uh, but instead of staying there and regrouping, uh, he pulled all of his uh, troops all the way back to what is now Palatine Church, which is like three miles, maybe three and a half miles away from the battlefield. Mm -hmm. Uh, And uh, that allowed Johnson a chance to escape. Hmm. So there was another commander for the rest of the years of the war? Uh, Oh, I didn't finish the story. I'm sorry, Bob. I got sidetracked uh, on the battle. I I should say that he was this this happened. He was pulled off uh, of the command, really, in uh, right after the battle. And the following spring, he was he had he was court-martialed. Uh, but the outcome of that court-martial was that he was uh, exonerated. Uh, I think you can pretty well guess that his social standing as a Van Rensselaer might have had something to do with that exoneration. Uh, but. He was exonerated officially. And he continued as a general, but he never again had anything to do with the defense of uh, Tryon County or the Mohawk Valley. Uh, Other people did take over at that point. Probably the most famous one uh, was Marinus Willett. And um, how do I say this? 
I think part of the of your book or the the idea here, or maybe the point you're trying to make, and let me ask you if it is the point you're trying to make, is that Fort Plain, Fort Plank, Fort Rensselaer, you know, people say, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But you're uh, making the case that for Fort Plain, which was Fort Rensselaer in particular, this was a major fort, and there were really big things going on around there for the last uh, four years of the Revolutionary War. That's right, Bob. What, what happened, and, and this is another uh, another thing that's frequently missed uh, by uh, national historians, what happened was that the major fort during the early years of the war that gets all of the all of the publicity is, of course, Fort Stanwix, or as it was known during the Revolution, Fort Schuyler. Uh, the National Park Service uh, has a reconstruction of that fort in modern Rome, uh, and of course, uh, it's, its story is pretty famous for uh, the uh, the Burgoyne camp. It's its role in the Burgoyne campaign uh, and. Uh, the defeat of uh, St. Ledger's army who came down to uh, to join with Burgoyne's army. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that uh, was the major fort for certain uh, during the early years of the revolution. But in the uh, early spring of 1781, there was tremendous flooding uh, going on in the in the valley and the walls of that fort, which were made of earth, uh, began to crumble and fall in. Uh, the soldiers that were there, uh, it was too small a force to rebuild it. Uh, and then uh, by some uh, accident, supposedly, uh, all of the barracks burned down. Uh, it's very strange that in a rainy season like mm. that, the barracks had burned down. The, the uh, suspicion was always the commander of the, of the regiment was uh, General James Clinton, brother of the governor, and his suspicion uh, was always that uh, they actually burned the barracks because they didn't like being so far away from civilization. Uh, So Fort Stanwix, or Fort Schuyler, in the spring of 1781 was gone. Uh, That's, remember, before Yorktown by six or eight months. Mm -hmm. So it's hardly the end of the war, not even the official war was still very much raging. Uh, so they had to pull back uh, uh, the defenses in the Mohawk Valley, and uh, uh, Marinus Willett, who was in charge at the time, Colonel Willett, uh, decided to make Fort Plain, Fort Rensselaer, uh, the major fort from then on. So all of the uh, Fort Fort Herkimer was also involved as as kind of a uh, an outpost, uh, but Fort Rensselaer, Fort Plain became the main fort. And it was from uh, 17, the summer of 1781, 82, and 83. Remember, the war ended uh, in really the summer of 1783, officially. Uh, so for those three years, it, it certainly was the main fort on the western frontier. And the, the British and the Loyalists and, and maybe even the Native Americans had a plan uh, in those days. or They were... You you know, it was the last few years of the war. Maybe they even figured that. But they wanted to make the border different than the border we're accustomed to. I, I think that's true. I think the Loyalists and the Indians in particular 
certainly had not given up on the idea of reclaiming their own, their homes. Uh, they, you know, now we see them as loyalists and and people who you know settled Canada and that sort of thing. Uh, but I don't think that's what was in their minds uh, at the time. They really uh, did not see their exodus as something that was permanent. They wanted to come back to their homes. They had a lot invested. Uh, many of the people who became loyalists naturally were the richest people uh, that lived in the valley because they had the most to lose. Uh, and so they sided with the obvious, the, the, the establishment of the day, uh, and uh, was a big surprise when they lost. Um, so 1781, 82, right up to... Uh, the spring of 1783, uh, they were still interested in reclaiming, making sure that they could get their farms back. Uh, so a lot of these raids had that in mind. Uh, and there was no established border uh, yet, as you point out. So I, I think, you know, if they could force the, the uh, Americans to to leave the Mohawk Valley, uh, then, you know, it could it was possible that the British could claim that as a border. You also, and maybe you mentioned this a few, some minutes ago, but the other part of the title of your book is about an earlier colonial Anglo-American fort on the site of Fort Plain. Yeah, there's Did one chapter where I talk about that. Uh, and it's, it's another one of those uh, myths, I think, that uh, was woven primarily by the, by the 19th century antiquarians. I won't call them historians because they weren't trained historians. At that point, they were basically uh, doing research based on oral tradition. Uh, and some of that oral tradition is accurate, and some of it is not so accurate. Uh, and also, it's open for interpretation. And these people that were writing, people like Sims and Stone and and especially Nelson Green in the 20th century, they were writing uh, from their point of view. So when, for instance, that whole Canajoharie thing, when they saw a reference to Canajoharie in the 18th century, they thought the village of Canajoharie in the 19th century. And that's mm -hmm. how some of the confusion came about. Uh, so one of the things that uh, Nelson Green got involved in is uh, deciding where all of the New York State historical markers would be placed uh, in the 1920s when they, put, when they had those, uh, the program of marking historic sites. Uh, they turned to Nelson Green, who was the acknowledged authority. And Nelson Green decided, uh, he knew that there, was, there were contemporary references to a fort called Fort Canajoharie, which existed uh, during King George's War, or the war that sometimes is called the War of Jenkins' Ear, uh, mm. 19, or 1744 to 1748, that time period. Uh, it wasn't the Seven Years' War, not the last French and Indian War, uh, but an earlier French and Indian War. And during that war, the governor asked Sir William Johnson, or General Johnson at the time, Colonel Johnson, I guess he was, uh, to build a fort at Canajoharie for the residents as well as the Indians to 
to be able to uh, retreat to that in case of a French attack. Uh, so he hired uh, Henrik Fry, who was the local justice of the peace and lived in the Fry House in Palatine Bridge, was one of the leading citizens of this part of the county. He hired Fry to go out and lay out a, a fort that was going to be 100 feet square, basically just a, a stockade, an, an empty stockade, so that people could go there in times of peril. Uh, and it's always been assumed, Ned Green assumed, that that fort was, uh, they knew it was near the Indian castle, uh, and at that point, the only Indian castle they knew was at the current village of Indian Castle. Uh, so <laughs> the sign is placed, and it's still there, I think, uh, across from Indian Castle Church uh, in the little, what is it, a, a hamlet <laughs> that we mm -hmm. call Indian Castle today. Uh, so everybody always assumed that that early Fort Canajoharie uh, that was built by Johnson in 1747, was there. However, I found a document uh, that was dated in the 1750s, I think 51, before, the, uh, before Fort Hendrick was built, which was built in 1755. Uh, that was opposite East Canada Creek. Uh, anyway, this, this document in, in 1750 uh, is a diary of one of the Moravian missionaries uh, who came up uh, to actually attend uh, uh, an, an Iroquois council at Onondaga. Uh, and he came through the Mohawk Valley. Uh, he mentioned stopping at uh, Nicholas Pickard's house, which we know where that was at the time. It was in the current village of Nelliston. Uh, and he came across the river uh, to the Indian Castle. Well, we know that the Indian Castle in seven, until about 1753 was actually on Sand Hill, uh, not to the west, not where we think okay. of as Indian Castle today. I think this is a very uh, interesting book uh, called Fort Plain, Fort Plank, Fort Rensselaer, the Revolutionary War Forts of Canajoharie, all of these places in the Mohawk Valley. The book you've written is very interesting. What I think is also very interesting is the story behind the story. This, your whole life, and to some extent, your father Donald's life involved Fort Plain and work on Fort Plain. Now, to me, that's a very interesting story that we need to tell sometime. Well, thank you, Bob. I'm sorry I didn't get to finish the uh, the story on uh, why I think there was an earlier fort there. But uh, in short, you know, the Moravian missionaries mentioned the fort being near the Indian castle, and that's the next hill. Uh, so I believe that uh, there is good evidence that was on the same site as Fort Point. Okay. The book is available uh, through the Fort Plain Museum, which you can find online. Uh, any other uh, places where the book's available? Not that I'm aware of. We talked about uh, uh, making it available through Amazon, but I don't think anything has, has mm -hmm. happened yet. And I should say the proceeds will benefit the Fort Plain Museum. Absolutely. You're listening to an interview with Wayne Lenig about the forts of the Middle Mohawk Valley. 
Want to put in a word for our GoFundMe campaign? That's what keeps the Historian's Podcast on the internet. You can donate online. It's quite easy to do. Easiest thing for you to do would be to go to our website, bobcudmore.com, and click on the GoFundMe link. Or you can send a check in the mail, make the check out to me, Bob Cudmore, and send to 125 Horstman Drive, Scotia, New York, 12302. Thank you very much. Archaeologist and historian Wayne Lenning has joined us. He's author of Fort Plain, Fort Plank, Fort Rensselaer, The Revolutionary War Forts of Canajahari. You've been listening to the Historian's Podcast, and I'm Bob Cudmore.